going to be sharing and teaching on the blessings of being under authority. The blessings of being under authority. And so before we go there, uh, I want you to, you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 8. Book of Matthew chapter 8. We're going to, there you're going to find the story of the healing of the centurion's servant. And the same story, same uh, account is found basically in uh, Luke chapter 7. Uh, and it's the same story, uh, though it may read different. And uh, the fact, though, is that it is still saying the same thing. In one account, in Matthew chapter 8, it talks about the fact that the centurion went to Jesus. But in Luke chapter 7, it says that he sent some friends, some Jewish leaders on his behalf. And back in that culture, it was the same thing. Whether you went personally or you sent representatives uh, on your behalf, uh, it was basically the same thing. It was equivalent to the same thing, the same idea, because this person, if you sent someone, they represented you and they represented your interests, okay? And so whatever transaction, whatever intercourse took place, it was basically the same thing. And so it is the same story. Uh, so you and I are not confused. Praise God. The blessings of being under authority. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you're here. You promised where two or three gather in your name, you'd be in the midst, and we sense your presence here this afternoon. And we do pray and ask that you would teach us your ways, oh God. Teach us your ways, Lord, that we may prosper and that we may bring glory and honor to your name. We thank you and we believe you for this. Give us an ear to hear what your spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm reading from Matthew 8's gospel, chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 8, uh, starting with verse 5. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him. Lord, my servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. So he is paralyzed, he's in terrible pain. The other uh, uh, gospel says he was basically on the verge, he was near death. He was on the verge of death. He was severely tormented. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. So he makes him an incredible promise. He makes this incredible promise. I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from the east and west, to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, in other words, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown out into art or darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, go back home because you believed. 
it has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. Hallelujah. Praise God. In Matthew chapter 4, we read, and you don't need to turn there, it says, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease they, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Somebody say all. He healed them all. Hallelujah. Now, Capernaum, this particular city, was a, a, a popular city. It was a, a crowded city. It was located in a strategic place for trade. It was found at the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. And, uh, and it was a place where Jesus basically kind of set up his, his, his home base, if you will. Uh, basically set up his earthly ministry headquarters. Because out of the 35 miracles that were performed, nine of Jesus' miracles were performed here in this particular region, in this particular area. Okay? And so word about Jesus had spread. And this centurion, if you read Luke's account, it said this centurion heard about Jesus. As a matter of fact, he was over the hundred men. He was over the garrison of the Philistines that was located there in Capernaum. And that garrison was placed there by the Roman government as a military post to protect the trade and to guard the taxes that were collected there in that particular place. And the Bible tells us that uh, this man was a caring man. Uh, he was a man who was filled with compassion, who cared about his lowly servant, a young servant that was paralyzed, sick with the palsy, suffering intensely and near death to the point that his heart was moved to do something about it. Every centurion mentioned in the Gospels and in the book of Acts were really gentlemen of high character and a sense of duty. And this man was no exception. The centurion, this centurion understood the principle of being under authority. This is a fundamental principle of the kingdom of God. Submission to authority. A fundamental principle. It doesn't matter where you are. Whether it's Australia, Europe, South America, the US. It doesn't matter. The principles of God work. Hallelujah. And they stand fast. It's like the law of gravity or the law of reaping and sowing. They are immutable laws, which means they never change. They don't change. And I've discovered that there is a blessing for those who are submitted to authority. Hallelujah. Submission to authority, it's a fundamental, foundational principle of the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, salvation requires that we submit our lives to Christ completely, totally. When we place our faith and confidence in him. This centurion understood that principle. He understood the principle of being under authority. Psalm 75 
tells us that God raises up one and he puts down another. He removes another. Romans chapter 13 tells us everyone must submit to the governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. This is the Bible, folks. Hallelujah. Romans chapter, this is Romans 13, one and two. You can read it for yourself. And in verse seven, it says, therefore give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Practical examples of authorities in our lives. What are some practical examples? Well, we have parents or guardians. We have pastors or church leaders. We have the government officials. We have policemen. We have teachers. We have doctors. We have flight attendants. Folks, there are people that are put in positions of authority all over society that you and I have to, have to face and deal with on a daily basis. If you get into the subway train or you, 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 the conductor is an authority. If you get on the bus, the driver is the authority on the bus. Are you with me? But from time to time, we may encounter folks that abuse their authority. How do we deal with abusive authority? Well, when we're talking about submitting to authority, I'm not talking about abusive authority. We're talking about an authority that is doing the right thing to the best of their ability according to the law of the land and or what God says in his word. Let me say that again. We're talking about an authority that is doing the right thing to the best of their ability according to the law of the land or what God says in his word and or what God says in his word. If you are in an abusive situation, you find yourself in an abusive situation and you're not quite sure what to do or whether it is an abusive situation, get counsel from a godly authority in your life. Talk to a, an elder or a pastor or a ministry leader and get counsel. The Bible says in the multitude of counselors, there's safety, there's wisdom. For example, David fled from King Saul who was trying to kill him. And he went to see the prophet Samuel but did not retaliate or raise his hand against that authority, even though he had the opportunity to do so. He went to see Samuel, the prophet, to get counsel. The Bible tells us that the three Hebrew boys obeyed God rather than earthly authority when, it, when the earthly authority demanded that they do something that contradicted the word of God. The apostles in the book of Acts were threatened not to speak anymore in Jesus' name, but they said we ought to obey God rather than man. I think of my wife, who at one point was working for an organization, and she, uh, uh, she was working as, a, in, in, as an accountant doing bookkeeping, and she was asked by her direct manager 
to make up social security numbers for some of the employees. And she told this, author- she told this authority, she told this manager, I'm not doing that. I'm a Christian. I'm not doing that. You could, she said, you can fire me, but I am not doing that. <laughs> it's illegal. And it's against, it was against her beliefs and conscience, so she obeyed God. And she didn't get fired. Praise God. But when you obey God, you may get fired. Some of us may get fired. We may go through it, but God will provide. I said, God will provide. If he closes one door, he'll open another. What are the blessings of being under authority? The blessings of being under authority. Well, when we're under authority, when you're under authority, when I am under authority, number one, point number one, You begin to recognize others who are under authority. You are discerning. You become discerning. You're given discernment. You begin to recognize others who are under authority. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 9, the the centurion said to Jesus, For I also am a man under authority. I also am a man under authority. He recognized Jesus' Authority. He recognized that Jesus was under authority. And he said, I also am a man under authority. He recognized in order for Jesus to have the authority he had, he needed to be under authority. You remember Jesus said, I, I, I don't do anything except the will of my father. Right? This centurion need, knew that Jesus had to be backed by heaven itself for him to do the things he was doing. Somebody with authority recognizes someone who is walking under authority. But you also recognize when people aren't walking under authority. You're given discernment. Secondly, when you're walking under authority, you have authority. You are given authority. Same verse, Matthew 8, 9. The centurion said, For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, do you hear that? I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. I was thinking of a a testimony of a a woman who submitted to her unbelieving husband. You know, Ephesians says that husbands and wives, when uh, the evidence of being filled with the Spirit is that there's a submission one to another. And here's this woman, she's, she's a believer, she's come to know Christ, but her husband's not a believer. But yet she felt the need to submit to him, to submit to his authority. 
And, and, and this man one day came to church, this unbelieving man, wasn't a Christian. And after the service, he came up to the pastor and said, I heard your message on authority today. And he said, what you say is true. He said, now I understand why my wife has power over me. You see, she was submitted to him. He was the big bodybuilder type. You know what I'm talking about? The one with muscles upon his muscles, upon his muscles. Huge, massive man. He wasn't the kindest guy, man. He was a bit mean, but nonetheless, she submitted to him as much as she was able, as much as, she was, as much as was possible. And he said sometimes he would be hanging out with his friends, whether it was drinking beers or, or bowling or whatever he was doing, and she would call him and tell him, I need you to pick up some milk on the way home. And he found that he couldn't refuse her. He'd be on the, way, on the way home and he'd think, oh man, I gotta go get that milk. And he'd turn his car around if he had forgotten and he'd go get the milk. <laughs> Praise God. When you are under authority, you have the right to exercise authority. You have, you have authority. Hallelujah. Thirdly, third point, when you're under authority, there is a humility. There is a humility. The centurion in chapter eight, Matthew eight, verse eight said this. He said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. This man said to Jesus, I'm not worthy that you would come under my roof. Or even come to meet me. I'm not, even, I'm not even worthy to come to meet you. In Luke's gospel it says. This was an expression of incredible humility folks. You have to understand this is a man who has authority. He's over a hundred men. He has the Roman government backing him. But yet. He expresses this incredible humility. And it undoubtedly referred to his conviction of the greatness and the power of the Savior, Jesus Christ, and of the feeling that he was so unlike him that he wasn't even worthy, suitable, to, that the Son of God would come under his roof. You know, and it's the same type of feeling that you get when you come to Christ, right? When, you, when, you, when you're repentant and when you're convicted of your sin, it's this sense like, God, who am I that you should love me so? That you should be my God. <laughs> that you would be my best friend. Like that song we sing, I am a friend of God. Who am I that? Right? You are mindful of me. That you hear me. When I call, incredible, right? Hallelujah. 
You know, we know the Bible says God resists the proud, but he helps the humble. And the Lord helped this man because of his humility, because he acknowledged his need. Fourth point. When you're under authority, there is a faith that begins to arise in your heart. Matthew 8.10 says this, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said those to those who followed, assuredly I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel, not even among my own people, he said. Folks, when you are under authority, you are given, the Bible says we're all given a measure of faith, right? And even the disciples at one point prayed, Lord, increase our faith. But it matters what you and I do with that faith, where we place our faith, where we direct our faith. The word faith here means confidence or belief in, in, in a belief that Christ has the power to heal his servant. It's a faith to believe God for the miraculous. What, you know, when you are doing what God asks you to do, the kingdom of heaven backs you. I said the kingdom of heaven backs you. And there's a faith that begins to come. There's a confidence because you know that you have the backing or the support of someone greater than you. As the centurion here, who was obedient to his superiors. Therefore, he knew the Roman government would back him because he was following his superiors' directives, following their fulfilling their purposes, their plans, carrying out their agenda and not his own. He knew the Roman government would back him. You know, he could have placed his faith in holistic medicine on behalf of his servant or maybe in the latest natural remedies, if you will. And maybe he did at first. But then one day he heard about Jesus. <laughs> and it was a wrap after that. <laughs> this man chose to place his faith in God. And Jesus is amazed at this man's faith. He considered it remarkable as a matter of fact. And there are only two times mentioned in the Bible that Jesus was impressed by people's faith. One is here with the Roman officer and the other one is with the Syrophoenician woman who came to him on behalf of her daughter. They were both Gentiles. They were not Jews with the knowledge of the law. And so folks, it doesn't matter what you know and you don't have to have a lot of religious knowledge. You don't have to know all the religious jargon. You just need to have faith in Jesus. I say you all you need is faith in Jesus. It's interesting that they were both interceding though for someone else. I found that quite interesting. The only other time the word amaze is used in relation to Jesus is when he visited his hometown and encountered the residents' unbelief. 
So he was amazed at this man's faith, but he was also amazed at the unbelief that was found in his hometown. And the Bible says he could do only a certain amount of miracles there because of their unbelief. This centurion had full confidence in the ability of Jesus to heal his servant and requested him simply to give the command. This request he presented was presented in a way that only a soldier could. He said, I am a man under authority. That is, I am subject to the commands of others. And I know how to obey them. And I have also under me soldiers who are accustomed to obedience. And I say to one, go, and he goes to another, come, and he comes. And I am prepared, therefore, to believe that at your command, everything must obey you. As these people obey me, so do diseases and storms and the seas obey you. If men obey me, a man who is just an inferior officer, subject to others, how much more shall diseases obey you? You, the God of all creation. You who have power over all things. So he said, Jesus, just give the word. And I know, I know it's going to be done. Hallelujah. This man came on behalf of his servant, which was a type of intercession. And because he believed God, his request, his prayer was answered, if you will. The Bible tells us in verse 13 that Jesus said to the centurion, go your way as you have believed, so let it be done to you. And his servant was healed that same hour. You know, 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says this. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. This is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will. If we are under his authority, asking for things that line up with his purposes and plan and not our own agenda, not trying to bend God to bless what we're doing, but finding what God is blessing and joining him in it. Are you with me? The scripture says he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know, we know there is a knowing, there is a faith that comes into our hearts that we have the petitions that we ask of him. As a church, God is calling us to reach out to our community. He's calling us to throw our nets on the right side of the boat. We've been throwing our nets on the left side of the boat. 
for a season and we've caught fish. Amen. Over the last 30 years, we've seen thousands upon thousands upon thousands come to Christ. But the Lord is saying to us that we need to reach our backyard. We need to reach our community. And so he's telling us to throw our nets on the right side of the boat. And so as, leader, as leaders, as pastors, we're praying. As elders, we're praying. We're seeking God and we're asking God, give us your mind. Give us your heart. And the Lord is leading us. He's leading us, folks. He's leading our pastor. And so when he comes to us and he says to us, folks, the Lord says we're going east. You know what I say to my troops behind me, those that are under my authority? You know what I say to the counselors, those in the counseling ministry? You know what I say to the young people? I turn to them and I say, folks, we're going east. If pastor comes to me tomorrow and says, the Holy Spirit says, we're not going east today. We're going northwest. I turn to those that are following me, those that are under my authority, because I am in the army of the Lord. And I say to them, guess what? We are going northwest today. Hallelujah. God is leading us. And if pastor comes two weeks later and says, the Holy Spirit says, throw your net on this side of the boat. We are going northeast or southeast. I turn to my troops and I say, folks, we are going southeast. Hallelujah. Are you with me? But if I turn to those behind me, following me, and I say, <laughs> rolling my eyes, and I say, we're going, pastor says we have to go east today. What am I doing? I'm sowing doubt. I'm sowing unbelief. I'm not sowing faith. I'm sowing a discontentment. And so if they end up picking up that spirit, where did they get it from? They didn't get it from pastor. They got it from me. So what I say matters. What you say matters. They say that communication is more than 73% of, uh, is, is, is what your body is, is your body language. 70, more than 73% of communication is your body language. It's not what come out, comes out of your mouth. It's your body language, folks. And so it matters what you and I say and how we say it. And so if I don't understand what pastor is saying, I still am under authority. And it's up to me to go to prayer and say, God, help me to see what he sees. And the Lord may show me and he may not. Because he sees things that I will never see by nature of his office. He is the commander of this ship. He sees what I will never see. 
If you are a mom or a dad, you are given a position of authority with your children. And so you're going to see things and know things about them that I won't know because I'm not their parent. But you'll know. Why? Because you are being put, you've been put in the position of authority over them. Do you understand what I'm saying? So now, God is leading us to reach out to our community. And he's giving us his mind. But we have some folks that don't like that. And so they're doing this. You know what this means? Talking, complaining. It's like the, the, the 10 spies who came back with that evil report, right? And what they are doing is they're talking and they're sowing dissension and unbelief, doing their best to poison people. But I, I don't know about you, but I have no intention on being poisoned. I'm going with God. And so I want to encourage you to be careful what you're listening to. You know, if the pastor had to consult you and I on every decision, how far do you think we would get with all the opinions in this place? Folks, we're not interested in opinions. The question is, what does the Holy Spirit say? And if he is saying, cast your net on the right side of the boat, then that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. And if you're with the program and you're flowing in what God is saying, guess what? You will have authority to reach people in this community because you are under authority. Does that make sense? Hallelujah. It's mighty quiet in here. Folks, I could go on and on about the blessings of being under authority. There's counsel. There's protection. There's provision. There's support, to name a few. In closing, quickly, what happens when you and I are not under authority? I want to use one example today. King Saul. King Saul. We talked about him a little bit earlier. I want to use him as our example. He wasn't under authority. The God appointed authority in his life. The prophet Samuel, who had given him a word and told him, you go and you wait for me and I will be there in seven days. He didn't listen. Imagine if he had listened. Imagine if he had turned to the troops that were running from him and fleeing from him for fear of the enemy and had turned to them with the same faith and heart that Samuel had with the same words that Samuel said, I am coming. I'm coming and we're going to offer, we're going to worship God and God is going to rescue you. Imagine if he had turned to his troops and said, God is going to rescue us. Samuel said he's coming. Imagine the troops that were fearful, that were dissipating because of the, the, the 3,000 chariots and the 6,000 horsemen that they seen, suddenly faith would have come into their hearts. Why? 
Why? Because, see, Genesis says, let everything bring forth after its own kind. What do I mean by that? Well, if I'm a rebel, then I'm going to reproduce rebels. But if I'm under authority, I will produce other people that are under authority. Does that make sense? So if I'm a parent and I complain about the pastors, it's no wonder your kids rebel. My kids will rebel. Why? Because I'm not under authority. So why should they obey my authority? Why should they follow me? I'm not following leadership. Why should they follow my leadership? Does that make sense? If I'm complaining about my boss, joining everybody else that complains, where's the power for me to witness and make a difference? I have no authority. My words will fall to the ground. But if I'm under authority, man, I can make an impact. If I'm not joining with them, I've got authority. Does that make sense? Saul comes out from under, King Saul comes out from under the established authority. As a result, he's oppressed by the enemy because he didn't obey Samuel's directive. He wasn't submitted to his authority. Rebellion is the principle of Satan. Satan was the first rebel. He led a third of the angels in rebellion against God and they fell from heaven and became what you and I know today as demons. James 4, 7 says, submit to God, resist the devil and, you will, and he will flee. When we are under authority, there's victory over the enemy. Samuel was God's appointed authority. By Saul not submitting to Samuel, in essence, he wasn't submitting to God. The prophet Samuel represented God and spoke for God to the nation. And as a result of his rebellion, Saul became paranoid and fearful and an open prey to the enemy. He stepped out from under the covering of God and suddenly he, he got rained on. It was open season on him. He starts to do crazy things. He saw a man, another man, who was under authority, David. And he starts coming against him. And when you're not under authority, folks, it's scary. You, begin to, you can begin to come against people who are under authority. He turned on David, who had a touch of God on him. And when you're not under authority, you can... You can begin to start to hinder the work of God by turning those who have a genuine touch of God on them or genuine faith in what God is doing. You can begin to poison other people. It matters what you and I say. King Saul had no faith nor confidence. Samuel told him that he would no longer meet with him. So Saul started consulting a medium. He became delusional in his thinking. When the prophet Samuel later approached him, when he was sent to kill the Amalekites, he said, I have obeyed the Lord. But he hadn't. He was told to slaughter the enemy, but instead he kept the enemy king alive and he had taken 
it upon himself to redefine God's will and directive for his life. And King Saul set his judgment above God's. And folks, when we're not under authority, we can begin to redefine God's will for our lives. There was no humility in this man. Instead, there was pride to think that he could ignore God's directive, God's word, and that it wouldn't eventually catch up to him. The Bible says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. You know, haughtiness and pride are simply a sign of self-reliance, self-confidence, a set of faith, believing in Christ like the centurion did, you know, believing God. That word belief means confidence, faith, confidence, putting his confidence in God. Suddenly there's a reliance on self. Folks, that's a scary place to be. I'm not going there and you're not going there. Lord has come today to encourage you to hold fast and to stay under the appointed authorities in your life, God-appointed authorities in your life, because he wants to bless you. He has blessed you, and if you think he's blessed you, you ain't seen nothing yet. He wants to protect you. So today, this is kind of an inoculation, if you will, a vaccine against falling prey to the devices, the traps, the snares of the enemy. I want you to stand with me. If you say, Pastor... I want the blessings of being under authority. I want to be able to recognize others that are under authority. I want, I want discernment. I want to be discerning. I want to have authority. I want the humility that God talks about. Not the pride where he opposes me. I, I want the humility so he helps me. And I also want that faith to believe God, to be able to see things that God is about to do. If you say, Pastor, that's me, I'm not going to invite you to come to this altar. I'm just going to invite you to raise your hands with me because my hands are going up, folks. Because it's not how you start the race. It's how you finish. And the Lord wants to bless us as a church, but not as a, just as a church. He wants to bless you as an individual. Folks, before I came to Christ, I was a rebel. No one could tell me what to do. I would fight with my dad. We got into, I mean, it was bad. But when I came to Jesus, the Lord convicted me and told me, you've got no respect. You don't understand things, but I'm going to teach you my way. And then I realized, no, there is a blessing of being under authority. My life changed forever from that moment on. And the Lord has blessed me. He's blessed my marriage, my home. He's blessed the ministry. 
And folks, I want to continue to see his blessing. So if that's you, if you say that's me, raise your hand and we're going to pray together. I want you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you today for the truth, your word, that is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I ask that from this day forward, you would expose every trap, every snare of the devil, every attempt of hell to get me out from under authority, to make me a complainer like the 10 spies. I don't want to be that. I want to go with you. I want to believe the report of the Lord. God, I trust you today to keep me. God, in Jesus' name, give me your heart. Help me to see what my leaders see. Let faith arise in my heart. Let humility arise in my heart. Give me discernment and give me your authority. God, I thank you today that what you began in me, this good work, you are going to see it to completion. In Jesus' name, let no weapon formed against this house, this church, ever prosper. In Jesus' name, we are going forward. And we're going to see you do great things. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.